Welcome to Wife on Wife, the podcast where my editor wife and I talk about my books, characters, my writing process, and we get the tough questions you submitted answered. Join us as we discuss one book an episode with some special episodes in between. And if you like what you hear, be sure to subscribe and follow. Welcome back to the Wife on Wife podcast. In this episode, we are going to finish the Tahoe series, which is kind of crazy to me, uh, talk about Begin Again. So I'm excited to hear what questions you have for the end of the series. So you are giving enemies to lovers another chance in this book. What made you go that route, given that the previous attempts were not all that successful? Staying enemies to lovers. I was going to say, yeah, you have to define what that means. Uh, you know, if at first you don't succeed, try, try again. I don't know. Um, I will get it right one day. I'm determined. <laughs> I'm determined to write like a solid enemies to lovers book. Does disappear count? I don't know. When do they they get together and disappeared pretty early? I think at least. Anyway, I, I guess it depends on like when the you definition. think. Yeah, when you think enemies to lovers, how long must they be enemies for? before the lovers part. And sometimes it can be angry lovers and sometimes it's legit like, yeah, we're in love with each other. Anyway, um, I think for, uh, for this one, because Paxton is, I guess I could call her a rich girl. I mean, she owns her own business. She's fairly well off. She can afford to buy a hotel mm-hmm. property in Tahoe and Chris, poor girl in this situation. It is generally pretty easy to make an enemies to lovers book out of that. And I don't think I thought, I'm going to nail it this time with this enemies to lovers book for me, enemies to lovers, I think involves a lot of sass. It's like a sassy, sarcastic, they don't have a lot in common, at least, you know, at first glance on the outside. And well, if you define it by sass, each and every book I write, is enemies <laughs> each book but what I mean is it. the sass where they're picking on each other or where they're not able to see that, you know, everybody is sort of an onion and there's these layers that are revealed. So you can look at somebody and think their profession is who they are. You can look at somebody and think the their first the first time you meet them where they're a little hey I'm so and so and I'm blah 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 you can think that's who they are but they're not there's more to it than that and I think this book is them discovering kind of what's beneath so I I do think eventually I would like to figure out whatever enemies to lovers is for me because I don't think I'm probably ever going to write a true enemies to lovers like the other ones that I do read but I do think that. We should define success there because the other books were successful. They were not necessarily successful in like a traditional enemies to lovers sense because of the way that I write. I really do like to get characters together because my goal is that you can see why they should be together. Not because I don't want to make you wait or I don't want to make myself wait to the end of the book. And there's the big, I mean, I've seen every romantic comedy like everybody else. It's not because of that. For me, it's about the character growth. So I like to write dynamic characters and characters that grow and change throughout the book. And it's about them growing together. And I think you need, whether it starts and stops, where they start to feel something for each other, uh, and then they go, no, this isn't it. You know, she's still the way that she is, or they just kind of lean into it and they realize they like this person. I need the reader to see that there are reasons that they belong together. For Kristen Paxton, I kind of wanted there to be this, I don't know, repartee between them where Paxton comes to town and there's these moments where uh, every time they meet something bad's happening, like Paxton's doing something wrong from Chris's perspective. And I just thought that would be funny. So it adds humor and levity and it's not who Paxton is. She's not doing it on purpose. And it kind of brings Paxton into the fold with Chris specifically because we don't know that much about her. So it wasn't that I think I sat down and said trope enemies to lovers for this book. It was more just, they seem like pretty opposite. And generally when you're 
that kind of opposite with somebody in those ways, you, you know, I don't want to say argue, but you're going to have those kinds of moments with each other at first. And obviously Adler is the reason Paxton ended up in Tahoe in the first place. Mm -hmm. What made you go this direction instead of Paxton staying in Seattle and Chris moving there potentially? So I think it was uh, very similar to what I did with Adler and Morgan, where Adler comes to Tahoe. There has to be a reason that the person would want to live there forever and be with somebody else and not just that they're fleeing something and you don't want anything that's going to cause problems later. So I set it up to where Paxton is kind of ready to leave Seattle. She, her, she's very close to her sister and her sister just moved anyway. And her sister now has the love of her life and she knows they're going to get married. She knows they want to have kids. And that means she's as an aunt would be like an absentee aunt in her mind. She wants to be there. So I think that's part of it. And then also Chris can't really go anywhere right now. She has a brother that she's taking care of and she needs to be there. That's where her job is. That's where her, uh, the life that she's started for herself is. And so it makes sense for Paxton to kind of pack up. And then on top of that, what I tried to do was have her, you know, driving around in a car thinking about how this could all work, whatever. And there's this building that just, she's drawn toward. And I'll say it actually for those, uh, for those nerds that watch Firefly, there's that episode um, out of gas, which I've just made my wife watch all these episodes of. I don't know if she'll remember this moment that I'm talking about. It's a great show. Um, but basically where uh, it's, it's it's a flashback and he's going back to the moment where he sees the spaceship for the first time. Mm -hmm. And the guy is trying to sell him the fancy ship, the nice looking ship, the ship that actually works. And Mal is looking at what would become serenity and it's this beat up clunker and it's not going anywhere, but there's something about it that he sees and he recognizes and he's just, that's my ship. And he knows. And I wanted that to be Paxton's moment when she's looking at this building and thinking that's mine. I'm going to turn that into a business. I can live here. I can make that happen. And so putting all of that together, it just made sense for her to be the one to move. So is she taking it as a personal challenge to get this building that's in disarray and essentially fix it? Or is the building somehow speaking to her that that's where she needs to be? I think it's both. I think it's everything is sort of pointing her in that direction. And she sees it. And she says, this is it. But I also think Paxton is the kind of person, it's everything is a challenge. To, like, going to the newspaper in the morning is probably a challenge to Paxton. That's just how she looks at life. So I think it's a combination of those two things. But you also have to be ready for that kind of challenge. You have to be in her case, she has to be thinking about, if I do this, I have a business in Seattle that I'd have to figure out plans for. I'd have to potentially give that up or at least monitor it from afar while I tackle this. But she sees that as a, a blessing and not a curse. She sees that as a good thing. And that's kind of what starts her down the I'm going to stay here path. Would you say that she was bored with the business that she already built because it's yeah. challenge completed? Yeah, so probably. Speak? Yeah. I, you know, I think like anything, you might have a job for a few years or 10 years or 20 years. And at a certain point, you just got kind of done it all. I've, I've done everything that there is to accomplish here. Or uh, it's the same thing every single day and you get bored with it. And so you look for something else. So I, I think that's probably a, a big part of it. Yeah. And given that Tahoe series was supposed to be three books and not four. Mm hmm. What made you write this book in the first place? Did we, I don't know, if we, did we talk about this last time? I don't remember. I think it was a um, little. Probably, yeah. 
I think sometimes I introduce characters where uh, I have no intention of doing anything with them ever again. And that usually comes back to bite me in the ass because then I go, ooh, wait a minute. In this case, it was easy because it was Adler's sister. So I was just able to make a fourth book in the series. And sometimes it's they might come back and bite me later because I'm like, hey, wife, I want to write a book about so-and-so. And she's like, uh, continuity. Yeah, if only you knew what she's writing right now. Oh, you're going to tease them like that. Yep. Oh, she's mean, y'all. She coming out today. Okay. You'll have to stay tuned for whatever that means. Yep. I'm not saying anything. <laughs> That's all you're getting. <laughs> no idea when that will come out. So it could be a short, it's weird to say, a short tease or a long tease. We'll have to see. It's going to come out when I'm done revising when it, you're ready which is probably out. 2024. Oh, gosh. Okay. Well, you may be waiting a while on that one. Don't worry about it. Tell us about Chris's backstory and why you wrote it. So Chris is a character that is very, very, very briefly mentioned uh, in the third book. And uh, at that point, I think, again, I wasn't outlining yet, but at that point I knew I was going to write this book about Paxton and I thought, okay, I could you know, have her with Chris. And so I started to build Chris's character and I wanted her to have something that, you know, most people don't know about or they don't know the extent of that something that, that her future partner could kind of unearth a little bit as, as part of the plot of the book. And so I gave her a brother. That was kind of the first step. And then it's, you have to start backtracking and go, why is she taking care of her brother? How old is he? So is he, mm -hmm. you know, a toddler, an infant? Is he high school student, college student? Like, you know, where, where does he fall? And then why would she be taking care of him? And there's a few different routes that you can go with that, obviously, you know, where are the parents and all of that. And I decided I'm an asshole. So I've decided that their parents died. And honestly, then I had to figure out how parents are going to die, which is not fun. So uh, I figured that part out. And then I thought, why is it just her? And that's another thing you have to, I think as a writer, you have to think about because sometimes you forget that, you know, the immediate family or the family of somebody isn't the only family that they could have. To take care. Mm -hmm. So why would it be her at her age and um, you know, having to move back after trying to go to college and why would she be responsible? So there aren't any aunts and uncles, there aren't any grandparents. And then again, that gets me to why. And for those of you that don't know, I think I've said this probably enough uh, in, in my time and it's in my bio as well. Um, I did get one of my degrees in behavioral analysis and, and criminal justice. And so I, I study criminal behavior and I wonder why people do the things that they do. And uh, I also watch a lot of true crime and I don't remember if this had anything to do with it, but I do watch a lot of uh, documentaries on cults. And so um, just, I guess, trigger warning to anybody. The who, fun activity my wife it, likes to do. It's a, it's a thing. I think most of us do. Um, uh, but basically understanding the dynamic of what makes somebody join a cult, what makes them leave eventually and um, you know, those types of things. And so for whatever reason, I decided that that was a part of this plot and initially it was going to be pretty in the background. It wasn't going to be something I was going to bring up too much. It was a factoid that she could share about herself that they could talk about. And then I said, what if I bring the grandma back? What if there's hope for that reconnection? And I thought that would layer really nicely into the plot and honestly give some tension between Chris and her brother as well, because he's younger. He doesn't get it. Did you plan to have her featured from the beginning? No, or no. later. It, it later, and I don't remember when, but it, it wasn't too far into the book that I that I thought, okay, I'm going to bring bring the grandma back in. And again, it layers in some tension between Chris and her brother, who have a great relationship. 
like they have a great relationship, but he's young. He doesn't know. He didn't grow up with her mom and and her dad talking about what happened and, and how that all worked. So he he would want to meet one other person of his family, whereas Chris is, to. yeah, and Chris is like, no, this is dangerous. We can't trust her. We can't let her back in. You know, this is how they get people and all of that. Uh, and then it also, I think, gives Paxton and um, something to be involved in with their to, to sort of join their family in a good way to have those conversations and help be somebody that the brother can talk to that Chris can talk to and um, maybe help them kind of come back together a little bit. But that's putting her in a tricky position sure. where she has to balance the sibling and the love interest. Yeah, but that's life. Like a lot of what I write is life. Those are things that you would have to figure out if you just start dating somebody right around this time that this person comes back into life, whether it be a grandparent, a parent who disowned or went away years ago, uh, a friend that comes back, an ex, you know, whatever it is, that's life. Those things happen. And so obviously the cult aspect of it, I hope is, is very rare, but uh, that happens. And it gives sometimes having that third party come in who's as objective as they can be in the situation can encourage conversation and dialogue amongst the other people because it's this fresh set of eyes and somebody that cares about both of them, somebody that cares about both of them and wants them to both, whether it's have these talks because they're difficult talks and you avoid, or just be a set of ears or whatever for you know somebody's little brother when you're dating them and giving him a job and giving him an opportunity to play his sport that he wants to play and get a scholarship to college. You know, that's kind of the role Paxton is, is helping to play here while she's falling in love. My wife just said, I talked for so long in my answer and she has her questions on her phone so she can just scroll. But I talked for so long. I'm so long winded. Her phone locked back up. So I'm doing great. I'm sorry. You wrote fresh star. You have anything else to say to me <laughs> about long windedness? No, I'm very long. I was agreeing with you. I'm that long winded. Her phone locked on her. Speaking of things being realistic, you got a comment once about how Chris essentially moved jobs and becomes oh, very effective about, about it. it. Yeah. And she went from waitress to essentially a restaurant Ooh. manager. Ooh. Why did you go that route? Listen, Knowing no, that that might piss I, some people off. I actually didn't know that was going to piss anybody off because that is so close to my everyday life that I did not know that, that somebody would say. So I'll tell you guys that, that comment oof, when I read that one made my blood boil a little bit. Uh, obviously, everybody's entitled to their opinion. Um, but experiences are not universal is what we say a lot of times around my house. And um, what I don't know if everybody knows this, I literally grew up in restaurants. So both of my parents managed restaurants. My mom went from honestly, as a teenager, uh, bussing tables and waiting tables to becoming a bartender to then an assistant manager long, but I think she even cooked briefly. I don't remember. I'd have to ask all the way up through a general manager. My dad was a manager and then a GM as well before he changed careers. My mom retired. She spent her entire life working in restaurants from the time I was about, again, I think I've said this before, please don't tell the department of labor on me, but for my mom, but by the time I was about five or six years old, I was in a restaurant working. Now I might've been sitting in the back office, coloring, doing homework, but I also could have been peeling shrimp. I was working with our cook who was named mom. She had a real name, but everybody called her mom. She was not my mom. That got confusing. A uh, very old lady in the back making, you know, prepping food for everybody. I made the garlic bread. Eventually I was doing dishes when I was older. Then I was uh, slicing the pies for the waiters. I literally did every job you could do in a restaurant myself. Had I not been in college and, and majoring in something else and then gone down that career path, I very easily could be a restaurant GM district manager or so on at, at this point in my life. I say all of that to say, obviously, my experience is not universal, but I have probably in total 
worked in um, on the payroll, worked in about 15 to 20 restaurants. And I have witnessed people move from waitress all the way up to general manager five to six times minimum. Sometimes it'll be a kitchen manager. Sometimes it'll be a GM. Sometimes it'll be a front of the house manager. Uh, I've seen this happen a million times. My mom went from, again, waiting tables all the way to being a GM. And so when I wrote Chris's trajectory, I wrote that for her. The idea is that she is a waitress at the beginning. She has career goals as well. That was not what she ever planned to do with her life, but she moves into this role of being a GM um, later. This is in the what happened after. And I got a comment where somebody said that doesn't happen. You don't go from waiting tables to you know, basically general managing a waitress or a general managing establishment. It does happen. It actually happens quite often. It doesn't usually happen overnight. And can I say that she's a little bit of a We'll say Nepo baby, because that's sure, like when you have a friend who happens to own an establishment, that makes it a little bit easier. But she also had to work for it. She has to know how to do it to keep that job, to keep it successful or make it and then keep it successful. So when I get comments like that on stuff that obviously I think I know pretty well, uh, and I also did research on the things that they would need to know to open uh, a place like that. Um, yeah, I, I go, Ooh, maybe your experience wasn't that way. But I know plenty of people who have experienced that. And yeah, I, I know my, my wife will tell you when I go to a restaurant, I'm constantly looking at menus and like, oh, they shouldn't have that here. They shouldn't put that there. I'm, I'm looking at the servers. We had a great server at a restaurant we went to the other day. I was very impressed. And I'm like, she had great training. She just knows what she's doing. And those are things I still do to this day. So that's a very long-winded response. I apologize if your phone went dark again. As per usual, uh, as we sat down to record this, everything was peaceful and quiet and silent outside. And then I think they're doing some type of, I don't know, aircraft acrobatics around our house. I'm not quite sure if they're doing a training activity. Could be just the world's loudest lawnmower again or a car. Uh, obviously, when we edit, we do make every effort to get rid of the sounds. I'm guessing it probably bothers us more than it bothers you guys because we're obviously hearing it. But uh, if you do hear something in the background, please be forgiving. Um, but we'll do our best to edit it out when we go later. On that note, we will move to where did the idea for Speakeasy come from? The Speakeasy. That's an interesting segue. Um, I don't know why, but I there are certain cities in the country. So, um, you know, you look at Prohibition and I'm a history nerd. And for whatever reason, I think that era is pretty fascinating. And there's certain cities in the country that make me, what's that? Can you explain the history of prohibition a oh. little? Because yeah, not yeah, yeah. everybody's from the U.S. and it's not all that common for Europe, especially. Yeah, yeah. So I'll give you a high level overview of prohibition. But basically what happens is the U.S. government back in the was it, 20s, I think, uh, says, look, we don't want you to have alcohol. Alcohol is bad news. It's promoting really bad behavior. Look at these crazy women out there and they want to wear pants and do whatever they want. And they think they should have jobs and vote. And that's some nonsense. We think it's alcohol's fault. I'm obviously paraphrasing. Uh, so they say we cannot have alcohol. They make alcohol illegal and it's illegal for about a decade or so. Uh, and during that time, obviously, it's not as if people are going to refrain from drinking alcohol. What happens is people then start selling it illegally. They have bootleg liquor like moonshine and all of that. And uh, as a result, they have these secret bars that become speakeasies because you have to speak easy of the whisper about them. You don't want the government to find out. And speakeasies were usually hidden behind walls. And sometimes they had passcodes that you had to say to get into. So um, 
today we sort we still have speakeasies, but it's like a, a, a nod to the past. Then it was sort of a requirement if you wanted to go drink somewhere, you were going to do it in a speakeasy. Um, and then prohibition was repealed eventually, and alcohol became legal again, and that created all sorts of problems because now you have all of the people who had been doing it illegally making a bunch of money. Now it was all legal again, and they're making less money. So we won't get too far into that, but I think, was that an okay overview for yes. this? Okay. Um, so I associate, for whatever reason, certain cities with speakeasies more than others. So New York is one, um, San Francisco is one, and Seattle is one. And I don't know why. I don't. I, I looked it up. There is a history of anywhere on the coast, really, where illegal stuff could have been coming in easier. And Ports. Yeah, ports. Yeah. So I, I associated Seattle with that. I looked it up and there is, uh, you know, still speakeasies there to this day. And so I decided to put one in the story and gave it a little passcode that they would you know, have some fun with. And I'm always looking for interesting dates for characters to go on or interesting outings for them to have. In this case, it's, it's not a date. And I am looking for interesting dates that work for those characters. So things that it would make sense for Paxton to, to know that and to want to take her there. So that's where it came from. How did that establishment turn into a proposal place? Later, um, I thought that is kind of their first date. They both acknowledged that they were feeling a little something at that stage, even though it's not an official date. And it was kind of the start of their business relationship and their personal relationship. So I decided to take them back there. And when I did that, I looked up like, what are things that you do at speakeasies? Like besides drink, um, really cool old fashioned drinks or listen to music. And there actually is a secret night at speakeasies. There's like a little confession that people will do sometimes. So that's where it came from. I, I looked it up and got the idea that that's how uh, they would get engaged. For Paxton's career trajectory, how did she go from a realtor in Seattle to an owner of an establishment of a different kind? I feel like the way I wrote Paxton, like she could, I don't know, be a Sherpa on Mount Everest tomorrow. Like she's just the kind of person that could pick up a different career and probably make it successful. And part of that is because of how she looks at everything as a challenge and something for her to learn. She doesn't seem to be somebody who gets stuck on failure and a lot of reasons people aren't successful or don't allow themselves to be successful is because they're so worried about the failure. They're so worried that they're not going to make that thing happen. Paxton doesn't really do that. She literally buys a hotel. Okay. Now she has the money to be able to afford that, which obviously helps because not everybody can just go buy a hotel. If you and I wanted to buy a hotel, we would never do that. But if we did, we're not just going to go be able to afford that hotel, right? So I think she's the kind of person that looks at things like opportunity for success, not opportunity for failure. But also her sister is there and her sister grounds Paxton. They're kind of opposites in that way. And I think having obviously Chris there and South Lake Tahoe is a beautiful place. It's a beautiful place to grow. It's a beautiful place to raise a family, to have a hotel. Like that hotel is going to be successful as long as it's not some awful place that would appear on you know the show Hotel Impossible where they let it get all run down. It's going to be successful because tourists will be there to fill it up. Um, so I think she just looks at things like success, which means if she wants to then add that restaurant and she's going to do that. And if she wants to have another career altogether, she'll learn, she'll figure it out and she'll go for it. And why did you decide to end this book on New Year's Eve? I don't remember having a plan to end that book on New Year's Eve. Uh, and now that I wrote that and then I wrote uh, Midnight Tradition and I've mm -hmm. written other books holiday like series. the whole holiday series. Yeah, I must have a thing for New Year's Eve. I don't know why. I think it's just that that whole I don't want to say fresh start because I wrote a book uh, called that. But I, I think it's that whole thing where you have this 
I don't know, renewed energy at New Year's Eve that the next year is going to be better, whether it's it's going to be different or better or good when the last year was bad or you have these new goals. It's why people set resolutions. And so I wanted them to have that sort of new beginning. And I, I like doing that, whether it's putting closure or putting a new beginning at the end of a book whenever I can. So I don't remember thinking in, in advance I was going to do that. It just seemed to fit. Was new beginning your takeaway for this book? I think so. Sort of new family because they both... They, new career? Yeah, new career, new life, and in this sort of new family in particular for Chris because Paxton loves her brother. Her brother loves Paxton. They're forming this family, and eventually maybe they'll have a family of their own, and I think it just kind of worked for, for the plot of the book. Would you say that Chris is running theme often... An outsider looking in, just like Kinsley's, mm. is resolved at that part of I think the so. Yeah, yeah. I don't think we've talked about that yet. So part of what I was trying to do was show, uh, and I, I have I have felt this as I I said earlier. I waited tables, and I remember specifically one time. It was a busy Friday or Saturday night. I was in college, and a lot of girls I went to high school with all came in and sat at a big round table. And I was like, ah, crap. That must have been fun. And I'm the only one working. I'm wearing the stupid uniform and I have to run food. I think I was sweating because it was a busy night and I've got to wait on my tables. And of course I have to wave at them and go, hi, I've been seeing you in a few years. How you doing? And for whatever reason, it was embarrassing. It shouldn't have been. They all had jobs in college too. You know, they, some of them were waiting tables at other restaurants. And I think that's probably what Chris feels when the friends walk in that she kind of knows, but doesn't really know. And, you know, in that case, I went to high school with them. It didn't mean we were BFFs and they didn't say anything mean to me. They were very nice. But I think for her, that's how she feels outside looking in to the point where when she does go to that little backyard barbecue and Paxton walks up, like she thinks she's going to sit down next to her and they're going to talk, but she just borrows the chair. <laughs> and, and that's happened to me as well. Oh yeah. You can just like borrow the chair. Um, and so I think that showing that and then showing how Paxton kind of brings her into that fold uh, is part of the book and makes her feel like she has friends now. She's not just the person that waits on them and is sort of invited to the party at the last minute. They actually want her there. They want her to be around. Her job doesn't matter to any of them, whether it's good, bad, or ugly. Their jobs don't matter to her. She's their, she's their friend. And so, yeah, at the end, it's, I think, putting a little bit of closure on that. And now we are going to finally reveal which series we are talking next. Oh, yes. We haven't told you all yet. So we um, went back into the box of Nicole's series, of which there are many now. And we're going to go straight from Tahoe to Boston. Because so. my wife tied these books together. I and sure it did. makes a logical sense to, to do them all together. To jump yeah. from Tahoe to Boston and be finished with the fourth series that I tied together. Yes. Yeah. Sort of by accident. Uh, okay. So yeah, that'll be it for this episode. And our next episode, we will be talking about Let Go, which is the first book in the Boston series. Thank you for joining us today. If you enjoyed the chat about my book, follow, subscribe, and don't forget to submit any questions you have for a book on an upcoming episode. To do that, just go to my site, nicolepilan.com slash podcast, where you can also find the schedule for future shows, links to previous episodes, and more.